So today's reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 2, and starting at verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those to who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of, uh, of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called her, him her lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. Number eight as well. Suffering for doing good. Apologies. I am. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Thank you very much. Brilliant. That's really important, that bit. It, can't, it might scupper the whole thing if we don't have that bit. Brilliant. Holy Spirit, your word is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path, so I pray that you would illuminate our learning and our understanding this morning. Amen. It's not on, is it? No? 
Hello? Do I have to use, uh, yeah, can I use that? Thank you. Okay, are we using this one now? <laughs> this one. This one? <laughs> this one. Hello. Okay, good morning. Um, the opticians. Uh, who likes going to the opticians? When you go to the opticians, can you have the first slide, please? When you go to the opticians, they, um, they put these special glasses on your face, these frames. Can we have the first slide? Brilliant, thank you. And um, you'll, you'll have experienced this. And they, they put in different lenses in your eyes, in the machine, in the contraption, and try and make your vision clearer. And what they do is uh, they, they, they put a lens in and then they ask you, don't they? They say, this one or that one? Red or green? And I, I actually find it quite stressful because, um, because you know it should be green, but often it's red or vice versa. And sometimes it just doesn't look clearer and, and you, feel that you feel the tension rising in the room. And they say, this one or that one? And, you, and it's, the, it's the worst thing you have to say, sorry, could I have that one again? Isn't that awful? And they go, now or now? Uh, about the same? This time or this time? And the thing is, um, but the reason they're doing that is because they're trying to make our vision clearer. And it's the same thing, although hopefully less uh, stressful, when we come to a difficult passage of scripture like we have this morning, when we come to a bit of scripture which actually doesn't resonate where we're at, and it clashes with some of our cultural values, we need the right lenses to help us understand what that scripture is actually saying to us. And as you have heard, today's scripture is one of those really difficult ones. And I'm actually just going to because uh, it's Fee's birthday, I'm just going to focus on the wives and husbands bit, not the slaves bit. But the slaves bit is just as difficult. And if we look at the um, wives and the, the husbands bit, there are two extremes of responses. There are two lenses, if you like, um, and lots of lenses in between. But the two extremes, I think, are this. First of all, on one extreme, you have the patriarchal understanding. This is a lens you can view it through. And you say, well, yep, women are weaker and they are, should be quiet, and they should be gentle, and um, yep, I'm in charge. That's one extreme understanding of this passage, and yet I can't do that. I personally can't do that. It seems way too patronizing, way too condescending for me to accept that lens on this passage of scripture. The other end of the spectrum, and there is a spectrum of lenses on this, the other end is to be dismissive. And, and some people say, you know what, Mark, it's just cultural. It doesn't really mean anything. Let's ignore that. It's too uncomfortable. It doesn't mean anything today. Let's just ignore that bit. It doesn't really fit. Let's dismiss it. But the problem is I can't do that either. Because all scripture, all of the Bible is breathed out by God and is useful so that I, the person of God, can be thoroughly equipped for good work. So somehow I have to find a lens, or lots of lenses, in my funny glasses, which help me understand this passage, which don't subscribe to the patriarchal view, but don't subscribe to the dismissive view either. So that's what we're going to try and do this morning. And I'm going to, use, uh, I'm going to talk about four lenses, which I think are helpful. 
I'm going to talk about three lenses, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the challenging bits within that passage that we had read, and then I'll close with one, lens, with one extra lens. Now, here we go. The first lens, and this is really important whenever we're reading the Bible, but particularly on the difficult passages, is the lens of history. You have to remember that Peter is writing this letter to a specific historical time, not 2,000 years later. Let me sum up some of that historical context. In Peter's day, slavery was normal. Men were in charge of a hierarchical order. Women were viewed as lower-class citizens. They were allowed to be educated as long as their husbands or fathers permitted them and it came under their authority. Men could have sex more or less with whoever and however they wanted. That's the situation that this letter is being written into. And into this situation came this new way, this new religion, although the followers wouldn't have called it a religion, this, this follower of the Christ, this, these followers of Jesus. And both the Greek culture and the Roman culture were very, very critical of this new way. So that's the general situation. But when we're talking about history, we also need to remember that Peter is writing to a specific context within that history, and he's writing to the house. He's writing to a home. And this passage forms one of the so-called household codes. And there's a few of them in the New Testament. Greek and Roman philosophy demanded that there was order within a household. There was a strict way of living within the household. And some of these household codes we read about in the Bible, including this one today from 1 Peter, did um, reflect some of those household expectations from the Greeks and the Romans. For example, in Roman law, as I've already alluded to, the father or the husband had absolute power and authority over his children and his wives and his slaves. A wife was expected to not have her own friends, only take the friends of her husband, and women and children, this is very important, were expected to follow the God or gods that their husband or their father worshipped. They were not allowed to follow their own gods. So into that culture, we have this astounding situation, and we have to see it through the lens of history, where women were finding Jesus and saying, I'm actually not going to follow your gods anymore. I'm following Jesus. And this brings us on to the second lens. Because this is what's happening, because the women were, uh, were becoming followers of Jesus, in contravention of the social standards of the day, we have to look at this second lens, which is Peter's purpose in writing this letter. Why was he writing this? What's his aim? Well, it's quite simple. He had two aims. First of all, his first aim was that the gospel would spread. He was evangelistic in his purpose. He wanted to reach non-believers. Chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and what? Come to glorify God like you do. Come to glorify God on the day he visits us. That was Peter's purpose of writing. The second purpose he had, we see in chapter 3, verse 16. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. 
This new way, this new religion was being slandered and people were speaking maliciously against this way, against this Christianity, against Christ. And Peter was defending what he knew to be the true faith, the way, the truth, and the life. And he didn't want people to speak maliciously about this way. He wanted people to embrace the way and come to know Jesus for themselves. That's the purpose. Now, before we um, go on to, the, on to some of the trickier bits, I need to say this one. This is the third lens. And this is the lens of the preacher. And at the last service, the 845, I got heckled in the middle of the sermon, which is, is I mean, it's fine, but it happens, what, once every two years? It's awful. It really is. It's, I mean, it was fine. It was all very good. We had a nice hug afterwards. It was all fine. There's no animosity. But, but someone there felt that what I said, and what I'm about to say, you'll hear in a minute, um, was wrong and wasn't in the Bible. And so they started shouting out at me. And it was awful. And it's just terrible. You have to think on your feet, and it kind of makes you all shaky and flustered. It's fine. But the reason I'm um, sharing that is because th this lens is really, really important. I am speaking to you as Mark Hay, okay? I will have my own lens on this story, on this passage. I promise you, and this is all I can do really, I promise you that I've prayed a lot about it this week. I can promise you that I asked the Holy Spirit to guide me, and I can promise you that I read a lot of books and wrestled with it a lot. But at the end of the day, it's still me. It's still me preaching to you. And you might, like my heckling friend at the first service, want to heckle me. Please don't heckle me. It really is a nightmare. But at the end, at the end, we can have a good debate about it. And the important thing about being a community of Christians like this is that under God's leading, prayerful inspiration by the Holy Spirit, we wrestle with some of these bits of Scripture, even the difficult bits. And we might have to walk out of here in half an hour saying, I don't agree with Mark. And do you know what? That's fine. Okay? It's fine. Because I will bring my own lens to this situation. Right. So far, so good? Great. Do you know what? Even just talking about being held has made me a little bit shaky. It's shocking. Look, I'm shaking. My water's shaking. It's terrible. Okay. Let's address some of the challenging things in this passage about wives. And um, unfortunately, the first one is the, one of the hardest, and I can't really avoid it. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husbands. Now, I desperately, I think we've got that, please, Daniel, thank you. I, I desperately tried to look up um, the word submit in different translations and things and try and find that it meant something different, but it doesn't. I wanted it to mean something like, wives, in the same way, um, bring your, cup of tea, your husband a cup of tea in the morning, or something sort of trivial, but it doesn't. It means submit. So we can't avoid it on the language. It does mean to submit. But one of, the one of the greatest reasons I have a problem with this, one of the reasons I really struggle with this is because Paul, in his letters, tells us to submit to one another. Let me read that. Ephesians 5, 21. This should be on the screen. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I... And to submit to Kate as my wife because of reverence for Christ. She is to submit to me. I am submit to, to submit to Andy as my boss. I nearly said master. That would have been wrong. <laughs> as, as my boss. 
But actually, he ought to submit to me out of reverence for Christ. I need to submit to Ben out of reverence for Christ. I need to submit to Alan, even though Bournemouth beat Liverpool yesterday. I, because, so, so for me, when, when, I, when I then read wives submit to your husband, I'm like, well, you, we can't take that in isolation. We have to put that back into the context that we're all supposed to be submitting to each other. So how can we explain this? Well, I'm not sure I'm going to do a particularly good job of explaining it, but um, I just want to offer two thoughts. The first is this, and I think it's really important. Submission, and this is really important actually, submission is the choice that we make. It is not something that someone does to us. And that goes for all our relationships. But it's really important here. Wives, you don't hear, husbands are not in the position to, to force their submission onto their wife. This is about wives wrestling before God in prayer, choosing, if that's what they choose. It is not about the authority of the, far, of, the, of the husband to impose that on the wife. That's really important. And secondly, you know, I think it goes back to what I've already said about Peter's purpose. What does he say? Let's have the screen up again if we could, Daniel, please. Sorry, that verse 3-1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over. That's the purpose here. The purpose is to win your husbands to Jesus. That's the only purpose I can see here. And that's how I can make sense of it. In mutual submission with fellow believers, but when your husband is not a believer, the challenge is can we be in a way which brings Jesus to that relationship? And I think that probably could work the other way as well. Secondly, let's go on to an easier one. Verse 3.3. Three. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. It's funny, when I was writing this, I was thinking of all the people that I know at SML who wear gold jewellery and fine clothes. <laughs> so there's no condemnation here. This is an easy one to handle with because on first reading, it can be patronising, it can be condescending to women and says, stop worrying about what you look like. But again, the culture was that the Roman, particularly the affluent Roman society women, would spend all their time on their hairstyle and their jewellery and their fine clothes. And I don't, I don't mean this flippantly, but maybe because actually they were not allowed to be educated, they were not allowed positions in politics or any other society. So actually maybe that was sadly all that they were permitted to do. But that's the context that, that, that Peter's writing to. But we, we can dismiss this one as a, as, a, as a sexist, patriarchal thing because, quite simply, we know from other places in Scripture that man or people look on the outside, but God doesn't. He looks on the heart. And all this is saying is don't allow your clothing and your gold and your, your, your hairstyles to distract you from working on your relationship with Jesus. That inner beauty, that inner sense. And you know what? That goes for me as well. Not that I ever wear gold or worry about my hair too much. Well, I do worry about my hair probably too much. Andy worries about his hair um, all the time. Um, it doesn't take very long. <laughs> Bless you. Um, but what you've done, you, you work very well with what you've got. So that's good. Yeah. Um, so thank you, um, Master. Uh, so, um, but th- this, is, this, is about, this is about having our priorities right. It's not saying we shouldn't have clothes, clearly. It's saying, where's your priority? 
And if you want to persuade your non-Christian husband, you need to work harder on what's on the inside than what's on the outside. Okay, that was a fairly easy one. Number three, I actually think, is, is fairly easy as well. Now, this is where it says women should be gentle and quiet. Now, again, you see, on first reading, that sounds very patronizing to women and very condescending to women. But once you dig into the meaning of these words, it is not meant to be like that. Jesus himself was described as gentle and meek. So it's, it's not meant to be. Uh, I think this is the problem with the English language, probably, or certainly the NIV translation. It doesn't do justice to these two words. Gentle, I was really pleased when I read this because it let me off the hook of this one. Gentle refers to exercising God's strength under his control. Being powerful with God's power, but in a way which isn't harsh. Now, doesn't that mean so much more than gentle? Gentle is so patronizing. Women, you must be gentle. It doesn't mean that. It means women be strong in Jesus' strength and allowing him to, to, to shape how you exercise that strength, which is what we all should be doing anyway. What about quiet? Now, again, this could be patronizing. Women, keep quiet, please. Thanks very much. That's not what it means. What it means is that we have a settled spirit due to a divinely inspired inner calmness or tranquility. So it's saying, actually, women, it's not about being how audible you are. It's about saying that you should have a peace and a strength on the inside because this is a gift that God has given you. And you are tranquil and at peace within yourself because of God. And therefore, how you are with your husband when they don't believe will come from that place of inner strength and inner tranquility. Um, how are we doing on time? I'm slightly worried about time. Uh, I'm going to skip that one. Let's go on to number five. This is a hard one again. Peter describes women as the weaker partner. Now, this is a hard one, isn't it? That's hard. This is hard. Let me just say that I do not accept that God thinks women are weak in any way, shape, or form. Women are not weak intellectually or emotionally or spiritually. They're certainly not weak in terms of their stamina. They are certainly not weak in terms of pain threshold compared to us blokes who probably are weak when it comes to pain threshold. And you only have to look at the witness of Scripture to read, and I encourage you to do this, the incredible number of very strong, powerful women who were in positions of authority and influence to know that God doesn't view them as weak. And having said all that, um, sorry, I've lost my, lost my train of thought. Uh, we only have to look through Christian history to see the number of women who have been martyred or have been persecuted and have remained steadfast in faith to know that women are not weak. But having said that, I do think that we need to just spend a minute looking at this phrase, the weaker sex or the weaker partner or the weaker vessel as some translations have it. Because you've got to remember in the context that Peter's writing to, this is the first way, the women were weaker because they were disempowered by what went on around them. 
not by being women, but because of society. They were weaker socially, they were weaker economically, they were weaker politically, and as I've already said, they were weaker educationally. They didn't have the advantages that the men had in that society. And I think this is what Peter is saying. I don't think he's saying, women, you're weak. What he's saying to us men is he's saying, men, do you realize that women are as valuable as you are and it's about time that you acknowledge that the society has put them into a weakened position and you need to do something about that. Because he says, treat women with respect. Now that, to those hearers 2,000 years ago, was so countercultural. He's saying, men, stop using your, the, the privilege of your position to say, hey, I can just keep women down there. You've got to start elevating women up to your level. You've got to bring them up politically. You've got to bring them up socially. You've got to bring them up educationally. They're on your level because society has made them weaker and that's not right. The other thing, of course, and this is a sensitive topic and I really appreciate this, is a sensitive topic, is that it could be referring to physical strength. And we have to acknowledge, I realize this is a huge generalization, but in general, men have greater physical strength than women. They, have, they are able to have more muscle power and they can run faster. Now, the issue with that is, and I do, that is a huge generalization, the issue with that is, as sadly we are all too aware, then that can lead in the wrong society to domestic abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. And the vast majority of that is done from men towards women. And I think Peter is saying, men, you need to stop abusing your position. You have all the authority in this culture. You have all the benefits. You have all the plus points. You've got all the things going for you, men. Women are weaker than you physically. Don't you dare. Don't you dare treat them in a way that abuses that position you have, but instead treat them with respect. Again, this is about bringing women up to the level of the men. Uh, I'm gonna miss that one out as well. I've got two really good points I haven't got time to say. Um, they're the best points actually, the whole sermon, so um, sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Just, I'm, I'm, we are beginning to come, come sort of closely to, to an end now. Um, Peter, in writing this letter, as I hope I've got across, is, is literally turning the world upside down. He is literally taking the social standard things and saying, this is not right, we need to turn it the other way round. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect. In the same, it's funny that that phrase starts in the same way because most commentators suggest that, that that phrase in the same way. In other words, in the same way as slaves are to act and in the same way as wives are to act, husbands are to act. What? That is so revolutionary, as one writer put it. So revolutionary that husbands now have to act in the same way as their little slaves and their little wives who are gentle and quiet. That's a paraphrase. Do you see what I'm saying? He, he, this is so revolutionary to the men who'd had the benefits of power and authority for all these years. 
who could choose their own religion, who could have sex whenever they wanted, could do what they want, could have slaves. And now they're being told in the same way, you need to step up and be respectful and be considerate. That is so revolutionary in the same way. Peter here and Paul elsewhere is significantly disrupting the male worldview. They are now being asked to submit to each other in reverence for Christ in, in a culture where they had had all the cards and had all the power. Why? Why was this the situation? Because women are co-heirs with Christ. Women experience the saving grace of God on equal terms. I know we know that and we can sit here in 2023 and say, yeah, we course. But back then, the women weren't even allowed to choose to rebel against their husband's gods. And now we're hearing that they can receive the saving grace of God on equal terms. Galatians 3.28, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We share an equal destiny, which is an eternity with Jesus. Women are entitled to be loved and known by the Creator. Women are assigned equal honor as a co-heir with Christ. So subversive into that culture. And one simple way we see this is, is through the simple thing, that, and we miss this when we read it, don't we? The very fact that women and slaves earlier had part of this official letter addressed to them would have meant the world. These are women who would not been allowed to be educated. They'd never have letters written to them. And now Peter, the pillar of the church, the great church leader was writing a letter and guess what? He doesn't even start with the blokes. He starts with the slaves. And if you're there as a woman and you're sat there submissively to your husband who has all the authority and has never allowed you to learn, and suddenly Peter, and this letter's being read out to you in worship, and they're addressing you. That's so powerful. It's, I don't think we can overplay how, how powerful that is. Last point. I said there was one more lens, okay? Last lens. This is the lens of a wider perspective. Because the final verse, which is why I was really glad, <laughs> glad I kept non up to get to read that last verse, is this. 3 verse 8, finally all of you. So this is for all of us. Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. Be compassionate and humble. It's really important when we try and understand difficult bits of the Bible that we, we look at the bigger picture. We look at the bigger picture of what God is saying, not just in one little passage, but overall, the whole sweep of Scripture. We look at what the whole of Scripture testifies to and makes witness to. That phrase, one another, that Peter says here, love one another, that phrase, one another, comes in the New Testament 59 times. 59 times in just a short section of the Bible, in the New Testament, which isn't that long, we're told to love one another, submit to one another, forgive one another, be compassionate to one another, show mercy to one another. This is beyond any human relationship. This is beyond any gender. This is beyond any wives and husbands. This is all of us. We are to submit to one another. We are to love one another. We are to be merciful to one another. We are to be kind to one another. We are to bear with one another. We are to be compassionate to one another. 
There are seven of these one another's in this book of Peter's, in this letter of Peter's. Seven one another's. We are to encourage one another. We are to pray for one another. And so when we come up to a difficult passage like this, we have to remember that the greatest thing that Jesus left his disciples was love one another as I, Jesus, have loved you. Why? Because that's how people will know that you really are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So whenever we look at a difficult passage of scripture, we have to have that as the primary lens. That has to be our starting point and our ending point. Love one another as I have loved you. If you disagree with me on anything I've said, I'm very happy to talk about it. I'm sure there'll be some of you who, who have different lenses on this, and that's fine. We agree to disagree because we love one another. But I'd still love to talk to you about it, but we'll still love one another. Wives, I hope you feel encouraged by what I've said this morning. Women generally here this morning, I hope you feel encouraged. If I've said anything which you found difficult, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I wanted to say it in love because we are called to love one another. Husbands, if you're feeling challenged or uncomfortable, I'm not sure I'm necessarily going to f- apologize for that, actually, because maybe sometimes us men need to hear the uncomfortable things. But it's all done in love because we are called to love one another as Jesus has loved us. Let's pray. Father, I do love your word. I, I love the Bible. It's just brilliant. It really is an amazing, amazing book. And Lord, I thank you this morning that actually there are difficult bits in it because if it was all easy, I don't think I'd love it as much because it wouldn't be hard work and you wouldn't have to work with it. So Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to fill our understanding and our minds and our thinking. And I pray that we would always be humble enough to to learn from each other to be led by your Holy Spirit, to acknowledge the lenses that we bring. And you would lead us into greater truth. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you, that Jesus promised you would lead us into all truth. And so I pray today and I pray in the weeks ahead, you would continue to lead us as your disciples into all truth. And most of all, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd fill us again this morning so that we may be able to love one another just as you have loved us, Jesus. And that by doing so, all people would come to know that we are your disciples. Amen.